Welcome to the Self Starter Show. I'm your host, Steve Clare, and on this show, you're gonna be hearing from entrepreneurs. You're gonna hear about their wins that got them where they are, their losses, and everything in between, as well as the advice that they have that helped them along the way. Along with bonus solo episodes of my personal secrets of life, success, and empathy sprinkled in for you, the listener, like chapters of a great book, each episode will provide you with a bit of a cheat code to success and happiness. All right, today's guest, we have John McIntyre. John is an industry leader in real estate, finance, and private equity, but Beyond his professional achievements, John's true passion lies in philanthropy. Fair to say? For sure. He is the founder of Savor the Moment, a nonprofit dedicated to bringing people together to share new experiences and support communities in need. Now, what I love the most about Savor the Moment is that it really brings a lot of people who don't know each other together and creates this massive community where you have hundreds of people getting together for different organizations. He doesn't just donate to one organization. He chooses different charities, different organizations per event to donate to. And it's all these fun events that people can get together. It's not just like uh, a party or, or some might be a party, but a lot of them are these fun events. Without further ado, John McIntyre. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, you know, to your point, uh, work is work, but philanthropy is really where I um, tend to want to really focus my excess energy and, you know, find ways to really help a community. Um, I've done it in a lot of different ways. And it's, um, you know, I have a motto that says move with purpose. And that's been one of the key purposes that drives me every day. Move with purpose. You live by that. And everything I do. So in sticking with moving with purpose, what are you doing right now? Like what does the life of John McIntyre look like right now? So there's a lot of, a lot of moving parts. Um, and on the work front, um, I've explored a lot of different things in my career. Um, real estate's obviously a passion for me. I love uh, looking at tangible things and walking by and saying, what can we do with that? Um, so that's obviously something I've you know gravitated towards in my career. So I'm working on a couple of different projects right now. Um, have amazing partners out there who I'm working with, who have, um, some incredible ideas and, you know, have asked me to kind of hop on board. And, you know, for me, you know, it's finding the right type of people to surround myself with who have, you know, a vision who generally want to make a difference in people's lives. And you can still make money while doing that. Um, so it's finding those right types of partners who are really looking to do those types of things. I wake up every morning, normally around five o'clock in the morning. Um, I'm a little injured right now, but normally I would, uh, you know, head to the gym. Uh, Are you waking up via alarm clock or mental alarm? So my alarm clock is set for, you know, five, five thirty. But no matter what, I wake up between five and six, the latest. Uh, my body wakes up and pretty much tells me time to go. Um, and so for me, like I still like well, regardless of being injured right now, I had a couple of weeks where I couldn't do anything. Uh, now I'm focused on just still working out. I still put an hour of workout in every day. Um, I still, even with the injury, I do. Um, it's one of the things I was taught at growing up is show up. Um, you can't always show up hundred percent or fully healthy, but you still can show up. And I think that's just something I, you know, have taken with me from sports to work, to charity events, to relationships. It's just show up. So I show up for at least an hour a day um, to for myself and to make sure that I'm kind of continuing to be energized and focused on my overall health. Um, like right now, it's a foot and ankle injury, but doesn't mean my heart's um, hurt right now. So I can put my heart into something. I feel like this is going to be a common theme throughout this conversation. So you're talking about you're dealing, you're working with partners on work on different projects. Is this all in New York? Because you're not originally from New York, are you? No, I'm originally from Rhode Island. Um, my projects, to be honest, stand across the country right now. Um, a lot of stuff on the real estate side and, you know, bigger ventures in that regard. But I've also kind of been connected with a lot of brands or smaller companies that are looking to really grow. And those range from like name one company, a company called Deuce Brand, for example. Okay. Um, I see I, I see in your IG you represent you representing Deuce and I, I, I clicked. Obviously, you know, I go down a little. I wouldn't call it going down a rabbit hole, but I, I then go to see who's repping Deuce Brand and like, what is it all about now? What is it all about? So originally, I mean, the whole premise behind Deuce Brand is an underdog mentality. 
You know, if you're constantly feeling like you're an underdog, you're always constantly trying to achieve more and you want to grow and you want to kind of have that second place mentality, hence the deuce. And so when I got connected with these guys, originally it was a watch company that could be worn by skateboarders, surfers. You could wear it wherever you wanted to. It was San Diego based company. So it was really for that, you know, you know, out and about kind of individual where you're going to fall to the ground, you're going to bump it. It's like not the traditional watches that you're worried about scratching up. It was, you could wear it in the water. You could wear it doing pretty much anything. And through the years, you know, I've, you know, I've been kind of working with them and seeing what they've been doing and helping them kind of pivot or support them in any way I could. And they've pivoted so many times. They went from the watches to strictly primarily wristwear to now really apparel being one of the biggest drivers of their business and really just getting their branding out there in that underdog mentality. They've worked with, you know, you name it from a sports perspective. And, you know, a lot of the people they've worked with have come on board, you know, not getting paid just because they believe in the brand. And I love that. Are these usually underdog underdog athletes who see the vision and they're like, that was me and that's why I want to support it. A lot of it's that and a lot of it is, is frankly, like it's a it's a brand that people can get behind. Has Steph Curry worn it? Uh, I don't believe Steph has. Um, some other more famous names okay. um, have. Kyrie Irving has been somebody who, for example, has worn it pretty much every single game he's ever played. He's been wearing a version of a Deuce brand product. I like that. Um, and it was one of those things where he, you know, he hasn't played a game because once he wore it, you know, that's, you know, he's doesn't want to revert. It's something where it's like, I mean, you have that, you know, as an athlete, you have something you always want to, you know, you get behind and it's like, you know, tradition, you do it. It's your thing. So from Rhode Island, how'd you come to New York? Why'd you come to New York? <clears throat> so my story is a little, you know, a lot of people see me, whether it's through social media or just getting to know me the first time. And they're walking into kind of my book at a, a later chapter in life. Yep. And, you know, I come from very humble upbringings. Um, I was raised by a mother who works at a supermarket, um, still does. Uh, my dad is, you know, like my best friend now. And, you know, growing up, we probably had a challenged relationship is the best way to phrase that. But he was a bricklayer. Um, I did every blue collar job you could think of growing up. And then when I was a kid, um, Nate, give me a give me one or two. Uh, my dad was a bricklayer, so I did masonry work. Um, I mean, you want to sit there and do masonry work in the freezing cold and you want your hands to hurt. Do that. Um, I've painted houses. I've done you know, I've framed houses. I've done pretty much whatever, whatever my dad wanted to do on the weekends and when he wasn't doing his regular job, you know, I was tasked with doing that along with my brother. And so for me, I'd be sitting there doing these jobs or, you know, even in my day to day as a kid, I'd see guys wearing suits. And when I was a kid, I saw a guy wearing a suit and I was like, that's success. Like I want to someday wear a suit. I want to, you know, I want to, I want to wear a suit, but I want to exemplify what a suit means to me, which is, you know, success and, you know, giving back to communities and really making a difference and people viewing you as somebody they want to be like. And so growing up, that was one of the things that drove me. I, you know, I was I was pretty fortunate to be smart, um, but unfortunately, I also got in a ton of trouble as a kid. Um, like I said, my mom worked at a supermarket. She was doing what she had to do. My dad was doing what he had to do. Um, so I was out and about just, you know, my brother. You're the older brother or younger? Younger brother. brother. You, you are the younger brother. I am. Got it. So do you think that your older brother's actions, attitude kind of helped you kind of shape who you were as a troublemaker? For sure. I mean, I mean, I, I like to blame him for everything, but 100% we, both know, we both know my older brother and that definitely helped me as a troublemaker to just see, all right, well, he's a troublemaker and I'm kind of just going to follow suit. You know what it was is like, like, and I used the word trouble loosely. I mean, we got, in, you know, we were kids, we got in fights, yep. we did things that, you know, frankly, we're probably not right. And, you know, like I don't regret anything, but I was things I definitely would have done differently. And one of the things I learned growing up surrounding myself with certain people is a, the term loyalty, for example, it's something I, you know, one of the you know key things I live by and I use that term very specifically. So loyalty a lot growing up is, is you have to be loyal to a cause. You have to be loyal to something. And what I learned through the years though, is loyalty can shift, right? And loyalty has to be a two way street. So like if you're you know being asked to do something you don't feel comfortable doing whether you know is wrong and you do it because you think that's loyalty, that's not loyalty. Loyalty really is doing what's best to help yourself, help others for the right reason. So if somebody's asking you to do that, they're not being loyal to you. So through the years, I kind of identified a lot of that and I figured out for myself, like I'm gonna have to do this on my own to get myself out of this. How did you figure that out? Honestly, I came, I came across a couple mentors. I came across people who just said the right things to me or, or believed more in myself than, or believed more in me than I believed in myself. And, you know, those, those words, you know, like of certain people, like I think back to a vice principal who, you know, frankly could have suspended me a lot more than he did. 
but like let me sit in my let me, let me sit in his office and you know we had a general conversation versus you know you're suspended like he let me just sit there and think about it and like and every time i would walk into his office i'd be like that was wrong um and frankly like i made some bad decisions but you know i was also fortunate where i had sports as an outlet i had you know i was a smart kid so like i actually got kicked out of school my junior year of high school it's a little known fact um, so I had to teach myself calculus as a junior and I ended up getting pretty much straight A's across the board. And, um, Wait, you know, so I, you get kicked out of junior high school, out of high school, uh, high school as a junior, you got kicked out of high school as a junior. You have about 18 months left of school. How'd you finish high school? So I had to take, and I pretty much taught myself my last two to three months of my junior year, um, took all the tests that I had to take, but pretty much a self-taught, um, and passed all my tests did everything I had to, and then had to go through a couple of different, uh, um, so did you get a high school diploma or GED? So I went back. I was able to come back, but I had to pass a bunch of tests and I had to get, you know, get everybody comfortable that I wasn't going to cause more trouble. And what did you do to get kicked out of high school? I got in a wrong, I got in a fight at the wrong time in the wrong place. And unfortunately somebody got hit that probably shouldn't have been hit. Um, the statute of limitations has passed. You can share as much as uh, you want. There was a teacher who tried to break up the fight and ended up getting accidentally hit. And it was one of those, that teacher is still a good friend of mine to this day. Um, but it was one of those things they didn't have a choice. It was, yeah. you know, they have to make that decision. You accidentally and, punched the teacher in the face. Yeah, I, I, I kind of skimmed. It was more, more of a skim, more of a skim. Skim. Um, and it was one of those things where they actually created a award, um, and they'd give it away at the senior banquet and they call it, they're all sarcastic awards and they created the John McIntyre sportsmanship award. Um, and they gave it away. It was like a flat dodgeball. And I'm like, it was one of those awards that kind of uh, lived on for years. But you know, those were the things where. You know, when I go back and I speak at different engagements now, those decisions could have completely limited everything I wanted to accomplish in life. And in some ways yeah. it did. Um, and so like I've always kind of taken that with me and always wanted to kind of reflect on that where somebody gave me a chance to come back my senior year. I did. You know, I graduated, you know, very strong grades and did very well and was going to go to school and I was going to be a math major. Um, kind of funny where people are like, that sounds like the most boring thing in the world. But like I it was that, but I taught myself calculus. I could do math, and like it didn't. You could give me like five-digit numbers, and I can multiply them by other five-digit numbers. And now I can't do that. So I mean, I'm getting old, I guess. But um, back in the day, I could do that kind of thing. What did you, in your head, what did you want to do with being a math major? I didn't know. So my grandmother was a math teacher. My grandfather was a physics professor, and I was always they were both at you know Michigan State, and you know seeing that lifestyle, I'm like, oh, I would love to teach. I'd love to kind of be around that, and then going to school was kind of funny. So I came to school as a math major um, was at, at, the, at the University of Rhode Island. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking around and, and this isn't a knock on math teachers, but like my professors were covered in chalk. Uh, the classmates I was looking around were not really probably similar to me. They were a little different. Like I'm an outgoing, outspoken person, obviously. And everybody else was just heads down. I was just like, I want to talk to somebody. This is not where the extroverts go this is where yeah. the introverts go a hundred percent so then i kind of pivoted and said what can i do with numbers that'll be more personal so more... you became a bookie no 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 <laughs> there was other people handling that in college yeah. um but no so i switched i actually switched to finance um and then i picked up accounting and ended up graduating college with a, a double major in finance and accounting um, awesome and so i was pretty uh and i turned it on like my freshman year i didn't really try i just was you know getting through classes naturally and then you know, right around that junior senior year, I'm like, you know what, like, I got to step up. Like, I like, what I'm was it that uh, kind of gave you that kick in the butt? It was just like I just didn't feel like I was, I didn't feel like I was doing everything I was capable of, and I feel like I was leaving something on the table. And you know, unfortunately, growing up, I, you know, I went through a lot of loss. I lost a lot of, you know, friends, or I went to a lot of young funerals. Um, and this is part of where Save the Moment comes from as well. You know, when you go to a young funeral, the most common theme is always, "I wish, I wish I could have said more. I wish I could have done more." I wish I was there. Some of these, some of these losses were tragic. They were the craziest ways where people could die. And you're just like, how did that happen? You know, that, that I wish attitude always stuck with me. And so for me, it was like, I don't want to look back and say, I wish, like, I want to be more, I want to do more. I want to experience more. I want to make bigger differences in life. I want to be there for other people. And so then I, therefore, you know, something was to happen, you know, I wouldn't look back and say, I wish. And there was points during my college career where I was like, I was having fun with everybody. Like, you know, I was having a good time and, but I was still causing trouble. Like we were still, uh, you know, you know, not living uh, the most productive lives. Uh, but you know, I was getting through. But I wasn't really putting forth the effort that I knew I could. And I was, in my own mind, letting myself and others down. You could also get away with a lot more back then because there was no social media. 
hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Nowadays, not so much. No, nowadays, not at all. So you're double major on your way to being able to wear a suit every day. That was, yeah, that was the goal. I was like, it was, it was great. I thought I was like, I was on that path. I was ready. So what's the next step? Like what? We have about 20 years in between. What's the next step that then brought you from Rhode Island to New York City? It was crazy. So like I was actually, like I did very well in school, but I wasn't really getting good opportunities. Um, and I actually ended up getting an internship through one of my former roommates and one of my closest friends. And how did you know about internships? Because it sounds like, you know, coming from a blue collar family, it's not as though internships are spoken about at the dinner table. Like you didn't know about that. So how did you know about what an internship was and why it was important. So funny thing about my first internship. So my my first couple of jobs in college, obviously I went back home and I did blue power stuff. My first real internship was out in an accounting firm in Wakefield, Rhode Island. And they did the books and records and the taxes and the you name it for all the local bars, restaurants, <laughs> individuals. And it was the funniest thing in the world because I would legitimately be out partying at you know, George is on a Thursday night and the next day we're doing, I'm sitting there doing their books and records. Like it was, the, and I'm probably looking at my own receipts. Like it's like that kind of like funny thing, but I was, you know, fortunate where the, the university kind of said, Hey, you need to get this. You need to get an internship. That. You need to make yourself more marketable because you know, like your grades are good, but you know, like in this day and age, you're going to need to differentiate yourself if you want to go to these types of places. And it's great. You had a counselor that really hit, touched you personally to do that because there's, God, how many thousands of students at URI for them to actually say or email, call, whatever it was, John, you need to be doing this and here's why. And I was lucky, like my roommate also, his his brother-in-law happened to work at a big four accounting firm, worked at Pricewaterhouse. And he would come visit us all the time. And I was like, you know, that's amazing. You work at Pricewaterhouse. And for in the accounting finance world or primarily in the accounting world, you hear you heard that, you're like, dream job. Want to start there. That'd be incredible. And seeing him come back and how his his presence and he was a fun guy. Did um, you lay the groundwork with him, like in like in a business sense? For sure. I mean, we had we were we were we developed a friendship for sure. But I also like like the biggest thing is is like if you're going to ask somebody to help you with something. You need to first of all ask because you do, like you feel like you personally deserve it or you put in the work to warrant it, versus just asking for someone to give you a handout. So until I felt comfortable, that's why I took the first internship is to make sure like I had that credibility where if someone was going to go out on a limb and put their name behind me, then I'm going to go in there and I'm going to, and I'm going to, I'm going to represent that and be thankful and show them that they made the right decision. Where did that attitude come from? It was just was like, from your, was any of that from your father? A lot of it was like, just, yeah, your name means everything. And a lot of that was like, every time I would get in trouble, it's like people would know my name and they're like, Oh wow. Like that's where, you know, we know him. And I wanted my name to be known for something different than, hey, the kid who got in trouble or the kid who, you know, ended up doing this because, you know what, we assumed he was going to do this. I wanted people to be like, wow, wait, wait you said McIntyre? Wait, he's doing what? Like, that's what I wanted to kind of my name to represent to certain people. I didn't care necessarily about proving people wrong. I cared about proving people, like the right people right. But at the same time, that was a good uh, Right, but at the same thing. time, it's, it's, it's the same thing in a sense. You don't want to prove people wrong, but the people who have this idea of who you are you want to correct what they know because you're like that was me this is who i am now for sure and it, and it takes a lot i mean it take it took somebody giving me a chance to get into first waterhouse because otherwise i probably wouldn't have and frankly i went on a couple of interviews like oh you're you're coming through this individual who was well respected in the company so if i'm gonna if he's gonna put his name behind it i'm gonna come in there and i'm gonna perform like that was the number one thing for me i'm gonna come in i'm gonna put my head down and watch what i can do and that was for an internship First, the internship, and then I ultimately ended up going there. Uh, the internship went well. Of course, um, got pretty. Then you got the job. Got got the job. Um, so, how long were you at Price Waterhouse? Very short period of time. Um, I was pretty lucky. I actually got put on an IPO. Um, so I actually did the Hertz Rent a Car uh, IPO back in 2005. As a as a newbie, at as the a company? first year, yep. I was put on the team. Like an incredible team. Does that mean that like they don't they didn't really care much for the Hertz rent a car IPO or they're like, well, no, 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 no. Like uh, the team feel- was, the team was great, but everybody, you need the, you need first years. You need people who are going to want. And I was, I was a first year who was, uh, um, I was, I probably was probably a little bit of a thorn in the side of the partner. Cause I wanted to be challenged. I'm like, bring it on. So like she gave me worldwide analytics and she challenged me to really think differently than, than I probably originally would have. Like when you talk about analytics and how you approach things, it's like, coming in with an actual opinion of what something should look like and then looking at it and saying, oh, what did it actually, what actually happened? It was a different approach than I had kind of been taught growing up is like, okay, like 
walk in, look at numbers, compare them, what happened versus come in, have an opinion because you've done that research up front of what something should have looked like or should have happened and then did it. And if it didn't, why not? I love that. So they were there to kind of like throw you in the fire, but kind of hold your hand through it. For sure. And, and she challenged me and, and I was pretty lucky. So coming out of that, I actually got a phone call. Like I was, you know, in line to get her promoted. I was, a, you know, I, I top rated performer. It was, everything was going great. And so I didn't want to leave. I was like, I'm on partner track. This is after one year, by the way, maybe a partner. And I got a phone call from a recruiter. And like, when you're in the big four at that stage, you get calls from recruiters. They're leaving voicemails left and right. And this is before real cell phones. Like it was like, they're leaving out your work number. <laughs> and so you check your work number. It's 50 messages, recruiters. And finally I got a call from a recruiter and it's like, it's a guy in New York. Are you so checking like, let's, are you checking all of these voicemails? No. I, you check them, but then at recruiters, you're just like, I'm good. I'm not looking. Right. Because this was coming into like the end of the year. And um, you're also at Price Waterhouse. It's like, what could you possibly be offering me that's going to be better than this? I appreciate that you get paid to leave this voicemail. I'm good. For sure. And so, but this recruiter called me and I picked it up and he's like, John, I know you're not looking. And I'm like, you're correct. And he's just like, but you need to go on this interview. And I'm like, I'm just not looking like I, and I say, like, you know, the partner's taking a good interest in me. Like, I know what the trajectory is. I'm going to get challenged. Like, like the rest of my team actually had departed. So I was the only person familiar with the client. It was great. So, and he's just like, go on this interview. And if you don't like it, I'll buy you a steak dinner. And I'm like, I'm, I'm like a 22 year old, 23 year old kid. I'm like, steak dinner sounds great. Done. I'm like, not even a question. I'm like, regardless, I'm going to get a steak <laughs> dinner out of this short. So you're telling me I got to go to this interview and regardless, I get a steak dinner. Okay. So I'm like, I'm in. So I go to the steak dinner and for, you know, I'm sorry, I go to steak dinner. Um, I go in the interview and the first couple of people I meet with are all PWC alum. And then I'm like, okay, the fifth, the, the fourth person was not, um, she was actually great though. And then I get in there and the fifth person I walk into his office and like I saw his name on the door and he's just like, do you know why you're here? And I'm like, I mean, I think obviously the Price Waterhouse connection makes sense. And he's just like, he goes, do you know who I am? And I'm like, I know your name. I can't, like, I can't place it, but I know your name. He goes, you and I just worked on the Hertz IPO together. I was on the transaction services <laughs> side, never met in person, but I, I basically told them to go get you. I love what you did as a first year over there. I think you'd be great for what we're about to do here. I told them to kind of, you know, get you on this interview. And so for me, like that obviously spoke to that year that I had put in, you know, at Price Waterhouse. Like I put my head down and like, I, like I worked hard. Um, I was given an opportunity and I took advantage of that opportunity and I performed and Hopefully I represented my uh, friend well, who gave me that opportunity. And then I got presented with another one because That's of it. Amazing. And so ironically, it was like one of the toughest decisions, but this was a company called, at the time it was Man Financial, which was the brokerage arm of Man Group out of London. And they wanted to separate their brokerage arm from their asset management arm and IPO the brokerage here in New York. Um, so decided to join the team and we were given like a seven month window to execute and to take the company public. and. Um, came on board as a, you know, the probably the most junior person once again on that team. And but they and they knew that and they knew that. And, and I came in and I joined an incredible group of people and I learned so much in a seven month period before going public. You know, we work in seven days a week. I was traveling around the world like it was awesome for somebody my age. Like, you know, I'd get now a you're call. probably calling home to you know parents who are blue collar and you're telling what you're doing and they're like, what? A hundred percent. You're 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 in London. Correct. How did you get to London? And, and that's my mom. Like my mom is probably the most. You know, my mom lives in a one mile world. Um, she goes to work. She comes home. But and she's that's happy. Her. She's content. Um, it's one of those things where like I try and get out of her comfort zone. But frankly, that woman sacrificed so much for me. I have no right to tell her what to do. Nope. So I kind of just let her do it. I try and nudge when I can. But right. I can and she's a John McIntyre cheerleader. She is. Um, and to your point, though, like I can call her about certain things and certain things, to be honest, it's a tougher conversation because she's not as familiar with it. And, you know, the funniest thing that would happen is, you know, you know, coming out of like doing an IPO and then some of my other points in my career, I would always go home and I go home to Rhode Island and I would either drive home late on a Friday night or very early on a Saturday morning. And the first thing I would do is I go to the beach and I go by myself half the time and you know, I'll go. And like no matter what, whether it's January to December, I go in the water. And doesn't matter like what the temperature is, doesn't matter what the weather is, like I go in. And like, you see everybody doing these polar plunges, like I don't call it that, I just call it going home. Right, so I just go home. And I go in the water no matter what, I go on the beach and I'll come home. And my mom would be like, where'd you go? And I'm like, to the beach. She's like, with who? And I'm like, by myself. <laughs> She's like, why? And I'm like, she didn't get, she didn't understand that like living in New York City, for example, somebody like me, it's like, it's a 
such a fast paced environment and I love it. I thrive in it and it's, but it's an unforgiving environment. So sometimes like being able to come home, the minute my feet would touch sand, everything would go away. Oh, go away. The minute my body hits the water, I don't feel anything. I'm just in that moment. Cause one, you gotta be present in the moment. Cause if it's freezing cold and there's a storm and the waves are moving, you better be present. Yep. Um, so like, you gotta kind of like, like that was like my disconnect. And then I'd say like, you know what? It's just me and me with me. Um, and that's my way to, Sometimes, like I wake up every morning and the first, you know, I do a couple you know, breath work exercises just to wake up because my body doesn't respond like it used to. So I got to, yeah. before I put that foot on the ground for the first time, I'm like, all right. But, you know, that's why I can sit in water, cold water, and it doesn't phase me. Um, like people see videos of me, I'm just sitting in the ice. Like it's like, it's fine. But like you find that place where you can disconnect because I'm so fast paced and I'm trying to fill every hour of every day and it takes a lot out of you. And so those are moments where, for example, I can't be on my phone in the ocean. Nope. And that's the one thing that I love about swimming and doing swimming for uh, for my cardio some mornings because my phone is over there and it's just literally me and the water and the thoughts that come from being in the water are the best. For sure. Because <laughs> even if I go for a run and my music is in my pocket, still have the accessibility of it's the, it's the energy and the energy of the, the phone is gone when you're in the water. It has to be. And I think that's where like it's like it's important to have those moments of disconnect. Um, and like in this day and age more so than, than ever. I mean, I grew up, I'm a little older than probably people think I am. I grew up with the first phones connected to a wall. Like you wanted to talk to somebody, you had to like cuddle up next to the wall if you're gonna be on the phone for a while and sit there connected to it. Yep. Like that was the choice you had. And you know, you couldn't use the internet at the same time. I'm not that old, but like we had the dial up. Well, you got to wait for that. You gotta... I, I remember it was like a big thing when like you got a second line yeah, for the internet. Yeah, exactly. So going from one financial firm to another uh, and being the youngest, what was the vibe like there? Was there any form of hazing was like, and hazing has like a, a very big negative way about it. Was there any, uh, we'll call it hazing, any small form not, not, of any? Not, of not at these places. And, and, and my actual next job was actually kind of more interesting. I went to a, a publicly, publicly traded, closely held company as a tech company. Um, and I actually was brought in and being groomed at a very young age to be their next CFO per se. You know, their CFO was 60. He wanted to use 60, was going to retire at 65. They wanted to groom me. They loved my huh. energy. And they're like, we're a very old company. We want to bring somebody in with your energy, your skill sets to really rock the boat. And you had the resume at this point already. Correct. So I was like, okay, I'm, I'm willing to do this. And I went there and it's funny, like you come in and it's like trying to get people who have done things a certain way for 30 years, you know, to even give you the time of day as a child and the people who worked for me technically but i was one of the youngest people in the company i had people underneath me who were 45 years old nearly 50 and trying to teach them hey like try this excel formula it's going to help you <clears throat> like so doing little that's always like helped me kind of in my career is i've been able to kind of you know hopefully mentor people or challenge people to be better or give them tools where i'm not telling them what to do i'm helping them do something and some people embrace that some don't and you know, like I was lucky enough where people taught me. I have mentors to this day where they hold me accountable. Right. It's also the way that you present it to people and you sure. are very good with people. I try to be, um, but I'm a, but I'm a big personality too. Like I'm passionate. And sometimes that passion, that quick response has gotten me into trouble. Um, not like bad trouble, but just, you know, you say some things sometimes and you're like, you don't mean it in a, a direct way, but you come off as overly direct or you come off as, you know, like, abrupt and in reality you're you're just passionate you're trying to really do something and some people use that as a crutch of like oh, i'm just passionate and it's like no for me like i genuinely care like and you know i'm trying to do a lot of different things i'm moving fast and it's helped me my, my, my career depending on the boss like some bosses were like you're an executor love that go what, execute was there any moment where your energy kind of nipped you in the butt and it was it hit you in a negative way for sure yeah i mean for sure i mean like i've gone through like you know, like, I mean, everybody probably knows my journey now. I spent eight years at WeWork, um, you know, and I, you know, like before that I worked at a, a very, you know, like more of an asset manager after the tech company. What was life like manager. at WeWork? It was interesting. I mean, I was, you know, in the early, you know, I joined in 2014 where you know, there was about a hundred people or so and very small finance organization wanted to really grow and potentially IPO within 12 to 18 months. And there was such lofty goals there and there was such, you know, strong personalities there. And I was brought in to help you know, be one of those people that brought structure to a crazy, crazy world. Yeah, as like, someone who was in the finance part, are you looking at their expectations of their expansion? You're like, I don't know if this is gonna fly. 
you know, you know what it is? And like, I use this example. Like, so one of the things I focused on is creating what I call swim lanes. So going back to swimming, what swim lanes do is they open and close, right? So how do you create swim lanes that allow for growth in a smart and thoughtful way, but allow people to really be what they're great at? If you're an entrepreneurial mind, I'm not going to try and tame that. It's not my place to. Nope. My job, like for example, in the finance world was to be a strategic partner, to be someone who advises you, to be somebody that provides tools or gives you information that's informed that you can trust. And then ultimately we can make decisions. In some cases, the decision might be to go more aggressive, regardless of the information and the recommendation, it still might be, hey, we wanna do this and we're willing to take that chance and that risk. And so finding that right balance, finding where you as a professional are comfortable is sometimes the biggest challenge because you might disagree wholeheartedly with a CEO of a company. But, you know, sometimes if you voice your opinion, but they're all the ultimate decision maker, you let them make that decision. And then you, you do what you can to support that mission. You then continue to support it and kind of back it. And you find ways to make sure that it's going to be successful or it might not have been with the decision, the decision you recommend, but that decision happened. Yeah. So you now got to figure out ways to make sure it's going to be successful. So step it up. So at what point did you see that WeWork was kind of, uh, we'll call it the Titanic? Well, I wouldn't call it that. Um, I think there's a lot of information, for example, out there about WeWork, and I won't get too technical. Right, because a lot of the information out there is strategically, is put out there strategically for comments like exactly what I just said <laughs> to sure. come out. So, so I look at WeWork and, and I can tell you in my circle, which my circle is pretty tight. I, I could say some of my closest friends are former WeWork either former WeWorkers or current WeWorkers, people that were just extremely talented. The story that doesn't necessarily get told all the time is there were so many smart people there. The, you look at the WeWork family tree now and you look at the companies that these people have started and what they've done. And, you know, to your point, like the press or the media is going to tell the story they want to. Yep. And call it what it is. Did WeWork grow too fast? You know, I, I don't, I'm not going to answer that because I was in the position I'm in. But, you know, they made some decisions and some were decisions like everybody were you know, like everybody makes it right. And some decisions are maybe not the best decisions and you end up having to live with that. Right. And so we work went through what it went through. And I think, you know, like I was to be very honest, I was I was going to leave. We work multiple times and leave. We work, but stay in New York. There was there was. Have you ever had a moment where it was like, what the fuck am I doing? Maybe I, I go back to Rhode Island for a little bit. Never go back to Rhode Island, which is a funny thing. Uh, I love home being home. Yeah. Um, but I, I've had opportunities to go other places, whether it was to go work in Miami or to work in California or to work in London. Um, and, you know, frankly, the WeWork decision to stay there multiple times was based on feeling like I had unfinished business. And also that sense of loyalty, sometimes blind loyalty, but I felt loyal to not just myself because I was brought in to help get IPO ready within 12 to 18 months. And so when I was presented, for example, I was going to leave right before the pandemic. Um, didn't know the pandemic was coming, just to be clear, um, and was ready to leave and, you know, was going to depart and the pandemic happened and it was an opportunity to say, okay, do I want to be part of the comeback or do I just want to say good luck? And so I, you know, I connected with the, the new leadership team. I talked to, you know, my, some of my you know, internal friends and I came back to the operating company side. Cause that's who you are. And, you know, I worked alongside some people who were part of what I consider to be the biggest comeback story in corporate history. Like, you know, a lot of people saw what happened in 2019 and would have never expected we were to get to where it was in 2021. And is it, is it in a perfect state now? Probably no, but that comeback story still happened. Right. And I guess a perfect state is depending on who you ask, because from where they were to now where they are, it's fantastic. And I think what's most important about, for example, when I left to go to WeWork, and this goes back to kind of when I made the decision there. So I was sitting in a corner office. I was wearing that suit. I finally got to that, that true suit. I mean, like the power suit, like yeah. not the suit that falls off your shoulders kind of suit. Like yeah. that, that I you got were, that You custom. went from like junior, junior with respect to, all right, yeah. let's rock. For sure. I had that, that tight suit. Like I was like, you know what? Like, and I'm looking out the window at a corner office. I'm looking at the Chrysler building and I sat there and I thought to myself, I'm like, like, supposedly this is making, but I don't feel like that. I'm like, Yes, I'm worried about the bottom line. I'm trying to achieve these goals. That's great, but I'm not giving back. I'm not really making a tremendous difference. I have my nonprofit, but that's not enough. And so that's when I made the decision to join WeWork because WeWork was changing the way people worked, right? And that's a huge part of your day. So I'm like, crazy. These people are actually changing the way people work. And I'm like, and they're connected to the community. I'm like, this is like, if this isn't like the, the, the most obvious of decisions for me than what it is. So I made the decision and that's kind of what drove me there. So at this point in your life, do you, and you're saying, um, 
you know, I felt like I made it, but it's like, what are we doing? Was there any sense of like imposter syndrome in there? A little bit. I mean, like I'm harder on myself than anybody else could ever be. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I set, I set probably standards for myself that are very unachievable. Um, but like I've, you know, it, it motivates me to keep driving there. And to be honest with you, it can, it can hit you hard. And there's moments in my life where I've been in some pretty dark places where like I've, I felt like I failed myself. I felt like I failed others. Like, what do you do in those times or in that time, those times in that time? Can, can you share? Honestly, like full transparency. Like I've been through some dark moments where I got to some places where I needed to finally reach out and ask for help. Like I was brought up in an era where asking for help emotionally or financially, uh, emotionally. Um, and for me, you know, for example, I'm in New York, I was in New York city pretty much alone. I didn't have family here, but growing up, people were always like, you made it, you got out of, you got out of here. Like you're doing well, you're doing great. And I'm sitting here in New York and I got friends back home. And this is also pre-social media. So it's not even like they're seeing like your curated Instagram where it's like, oh shit, John's working <laughs> out with this person. He's wearing a suit while getting a coffee. Like they just know that you're in New York. So you're not showing them you made it. Their perception of you made it was just knowing you were in New York. Yeah. And they're like, oh, you're, you're doing so well. You're doing great. And I come home and people are like, hey, let me, can you help me? You know, can I borrow money? Can I do this? Can I do that? And for me, like I was like, you know, I didn't want to let people down, but at the same time, like I was going through my own stuff. Like I didn't have a fallback plan. I put so much pressure on myself. I'm like, I had to succeed. Like, and you get to that point where, you know, you have some, some misses or some losses, whether it's relationships, whether it's career, whether it's, you know, you thought you'd be doing more and you get to this point where you're like, who, who can I ask for help from? And you just don't know who to ask because if I was to ask somebody for help, I'm no longer their rock. I used to be the person that people could say, like, I can turn to you and you got my back no matter what. I couldn't go back to that person and be like, hey, I need help. Because I would be assigned a weakness and then they wouldn't feel comfortable coming to me. And that, give me a year. What point? What, what year? Because I would say in the last few years, it's become less like unmanly for sure. to ask for help. Like it's become it's mental health has become a very big conversation. And even more so in the last like two, three years, I mean, my, my best friend died in September and it crushes me every fucking day. Like that. I didn't reach out more. I didn't like there was, he'd, oh, he's been quirky since we're 10 years old. I'm quirky. He's quirky. Like we were, he was my brother, but for the last few years, I, and it's never going to leave me. Maybe it will, but I've. I think every day that I could have done more, I could have done more. And just, he never really, he didn't reach out with like the, I'm going through this, but I feel like I should have been able to read between the lines. This was like 2012 for me. And, and, and this was, you know, I was in a good place and I had just gone through, you know, a breakup. I had gone through some other losses in life, friends and, you know, I was just, you know, I was, career was okay, but it was, you know, I was working every day, but I didn't feel fulfilled at all. And like, I was just in a tough place and like, I didn't know what to do. And like, Did you feel lonely? Oh, for sure. And, 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 and I don't, like, I, I wasn't good about like, telling anybody that. And, you know, like I, you know, full transparency and I like, guess, you know, I'll put this out there is I made a pretty, pretty bad or pretty bad decision. Um, and I made a phone call as after I made that decision and I called my mom and honestly, like, if she hadn't picked up, I might not be here. And she picked up and like, all I said was, I'm sorry. And all I heard was her tears. And once I heard that, like, like I never wanted to die, like, to be very honest, like full transfer. I didn't want to die, but I was just tired. Um, and there's a difference, I think sometimes in the, that terminology, because like, I wanted to live. I just didn't, I didn't want to like feel pain or I didn't want to like deal with today, which, you know, for somebody like me who like people see me and I'm like a, I take every hour and I use it and I'm so proud of that. Like in that moment, it was a single moment, a single bleep, you know, blip, whatever. But if I, my mom didn't pick up, I might not be here. And she luckily did. And then like by me calling, she, then I hung up and I made that first call I've ever made in my life for help. But I called for help and luckily enough, I got the help I needed that night, but also I got the help I needed, you know, in the weeks and months that followed. But, you know, I think that was the strongest I've ever been in my life is asking for help. And I've learned to kind of, I've learned from that and that's part of what I try and then do to give back is I give people that comfort or give those people those outlets and tell these stories because it's like, hey, like we've all been there. Like nobody's nobody's that tough. Nobody can get through life. I don't care who you are, like you can be the toughest person in the world. Like at some point somebody's helped you. 
somebody's going to help you or you're going to need somebody to help you. Like, I don't care who you are. Even if you're 85 years old and you've somehow made it all the way, at some point, someone's going to have to help you do something. Especially in life when someone might come at you with an attitude or something, you don't know what's going on in their life. You don't know what their day was. You don't know what their week has been like. You don't know the shit that anyone's going through to judge somebody. And to, we'll revert now to savor the moment. When did that start? And was this kind of a pivotal moment in your life that pushed you towards starting Savor the Moment? So I started Savor the Moment in 2005. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so this has been going on. What was the first event? First event I actually hosted at home um, in Rhode Island. It's the only event I've actually held in Rhode Island, which is funny. And we had about, I partnered with the Make-A-Wish Foundation um, because you know, when you think about the message or the, sorry, the mission of Savor the Moment, it's to bring people together outside of tragedy, give people a reason to stop and say, you know, I want to be present. I want to share a laugh, share, you know, a smile, share a genuine conversation, real connection, you know, put the phones down. Like, don't worry about the kids. Don't worry about dishes. Like, you know, just show up and be present. And so I hosted a dinner at home and like, I wanted to find an organization to partner with and make a wish was like spot on. Like they're providing moments and yep. save the moment. Right. Great. So I reach out to the organization. I call them up and I'm like, Hey, like, can I come pick up some materials? They're like, yeah, stop by our office. And so I go up to their office and I, I can't find it. It's in Cranston, Rhode Island, in a back of like a retail store behind another store. I'm like, where is this place? So I go up a back staircase, I get there and I walk up and I see nothing but pictures on the wall of like kids. And I'm like, I'm sitting there, I'm just like, I'm, I'm like a mess, right? So I'm like 23 years old and I'm like, and I walk at this woman. I'd be bawling. This woman walks up to me. She's like, it's so great what you're doing. And I'm like, I do nothing compared to what you guys yeah. do, like on a daily basis. A lot of people don't know, like most people that make a wish are not, they're not paid. Like a lot of it's volunteer. Like it's, so I was like, wow, I'm like, I want to do whatever I can. So host an event, uh, had a hundred, about a hundred people or so came. It was a sit down dinner. It's a lot for a first event. A hundred people. Yeah. How did you get the word out? This was old school. So it was email and calls. Yeah. Um, so email, no social media really. So emails and calls. And, and I had a hundred people from New York, from Connecticut. Like my boss at the time of first waterhouse came all the way up. Um, it was one of those things where, you know, it's kind of funny, one of the, and it, he'll, he'll laugh at this and, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm speaking and I'm, I'm dressed in a suit. And this is at the time where you had like baggy shirts, but I had cufflinks on. Right. And I'm sitting there and like my, one of my best friends from growing up sitting with his family jumps up. He's just like from cuffs to cufflinks. And I'm sitting there. And the funniest part about it is nobody like, like my, my job knows like what, yeah. he, what he's even talking about. His mom smacks him in the back of the head. I said, what's wrong with you? And I'm like. But it's which is fantastic. It's that funny. should be on a that should be on a t-shirt. Right. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh my God. But we raised five hundred dollars. And like that was all we raised. And five. I'm, just five hundred dollars for the make a wish. Got it. Donate. So there was no entry to the dinner. It, it was, was it was a hundred it was I think it was a hundred dollars at the time. And the profit from that, like after venue and all that stuff. Oh, was, gotcha, gotcha. So like this is like the first, like I want to give back. So like the way my nonprofit works is I put on events, I bring in no money. I want it to be hundred percent passed through to those organizations I'm gonna partner with because frankly, like, I don't want I don't want money. Like money's great. Money can do a lot of different things, but I want to support the right organizations. Everything I do, I do it myself. Um, I'll put up my own money to fund things up front if I have to. It doesn't matter. It's more how do I then create awareness and funding for other organizations? And so the reason though is like going back to so I went to those young funerals and that I wish attitude always stuck with me. And then I dealt with some health difficulties right out of college or right during my internship. And, you know, I, one of the things that came out of one of the health issues I was dealing with was you might not ever play sports again. There's a chance you might not ever be able to play sports. And I was like, that's my outlet. It's kind of what saved me. It's kept me out of trouble at certain times. It was an outlet for me. And like, I was just like, if I can't play sports, I'm devastated. Well, what did you play? I played, I played basketball. I played every sport growing up, basketball, football, track, golf, volleyball, probably got kicked out of every one of those as well at some point. But played everything and that was just something where it was like such like a a way for me to come together with people and so like i was like if i can't play sports like that's like, what am i going to do and so it's your identity correct so like and i was Part actually doing i was doing my internship um and i'm driving back um over the tappan sea bridge um because like i was on hertz which was out in new jersey and i called my mom and i'm like you know i don't know what i'm living for anymore like you know i just had the surgery and i'm like sports might be she's like you got to change the way you look at things in order for things you look at to change so i hung up on her you need to change the way you look at things in order for things to change. Okay. And so I hung up on it because that's the last thing I wanted to hear. And, you know, so then I started reflecting. So it's pitch black out. I'm driving along and I thought about sports. I'm like, what did I love about sports? Like it wasn't you hit a, you hit a home run and you cross one plate. There's nobody to high five. It doesn't mean anything. You hit a game winning home, a game winning jump shot, you turn around and there's nobody there. It doesn't have the same feeling. So what I really loved about sports was camaraderie. I love being around people. I love sharing 
you know, sweat, laughter, making fun of each other, just being in that moment and really sharing, you know, common goals, sharing and struggle and sharing, just working towards something. And so between that and the loss of a lot of people growing up in the I wish attitude, that's where Savor the Moment came from is I wanted to give people a reason to come together outside of tragedy. Tragedy, people come together, right? So somebody passes away, we do a funeral, right? But I wanted to give people a reason so when they're sitting at that funeral, they don't say, I wish, it's I had. So I provide events where people connect. And so God forbid something happens a week from now, two weeks from now, instead of saying, I wish, it's I had. And that's the very simple mission. And the second component that is, you know, you bring people together and people can do amazing things. And that's where the fundraising comes from. That's where the awareness of other organizations comes from. And why not capitalize on that with greater good? God bless. Um, so savor the moment is your that's 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 your main focus right now because uh before we got on the mic you were telling me work-wise you're no longer at we work and now you have all these projects that you're working on mm -hmm. anything that's like at the top of the list like this may be my next everyday profession there's a couple of things and i think so i'm never gonna um, pigeonhole yourself into one job i'm always gonna have side projects right, right. so like i'm fortunate enough to have partners on some big initiatives that you know, could go either way. And, you know, from the standpoint of, you know, could I make that my career for sure? But I do love what I do. And so like I've obviously I've been in discussions with a lot of different um, organizations. And and for me, it's finding the right type of people to surround myself with. And at this point in my career, what's most important to me is who I work with um, and who I surround myself with and and what their goals are as an organization. And like, how do I attach myself to like their mission. If I can get behind something, then I'm all for it. So whether it's brands that I support or health and wellness people that I surround myself with or just my general friends and relationships, it's all about, you know, where is this gonna go? Like, how are we gonna, how are we gonna do things that are positively impacting others? How are we gonna kind of make sure we're paying it forward? Like, and I look back and like, I wanna make the difference that I, you know, somebody made for me is it gives somebody a chance. So when it comes to like being at a, a company, like I want a company that's focused on mentorship company that's going to, you know, we're going to bring in people. I love teaching. Um, I love putting people into places where they're going to be challenged, but you know, we're going to get them to that next Are level. Are you uh, coaching any sports right now? I coach, uh, I coach fitness. Um, so I'll coach small group classes. I teach some corporate wellness classes yep. as well. At your gym? Uh, uh, all over. Um, so I'll do it. You know, I actually go to certain offices and coach out of their offices, which is fun for me. And it's one of those things where you get a different type of professional sometimes and, and it's different levels, right? So it's people who, you know, a lot of these companies are smart enough, you know, and similar to the, the WeWork model, a lot of these companies are smart enough to now create environments where like you're providing a, you know, a very simple service at no real cost to you guys as a company that, you know, 10 or 12 people can get an overall benefit from. And if you do it right, you know, it's that thing that keeps somebody connected. So going into an office, showing people breath work, how to actually stretch at your desk. Well, I, I teach actual, they, a lot of these places have actually gyms in their offices. Oh. Now. So I actually teach the classes there and I show up and, you know, it's like they, they complain about having to show up at 7 a.m. And I'm like, I'm sitting there, I've been up for two hours already. Yeah. Um, but they show up and like they, they, they put in the work. And like for me, like, like I love doing that and I can see the benefit that they get out of it. I get the benefit of helping people. Um, everything I do when it comes to fitness, I donate to charity. Um, so every class I've ever taught, anything I've ever raised through fit the fitness world, I pretty much donated out. And is that after your bottom line is covered? I don't even, I don't even factor in my bottom line. If I bring in money, it goes out the door. Got it. Um, so I've minimized any kind of expenses. And like, for me, it's like, I've been fortunate to get into the fitness community and the fitness world. So when I, when I create classes or I do those types of things, you know, I created a movement called for all movement and the very it's the acronym fam. So it's all about family, fam, right? For all movement. And how long ago did you create that? That was coming out of the pandemic. The gym I was a part of, um, unfortunately was going to close. And so I, I stepped in and kind of said, we got to keep this gym open. It's a beautiful facility. I partnered with an incredible physical therapy group who now runs all the, you know, they run it themselves now and that's kind of their space. And so like I operate out of that space as well. But for me, it was, I wanted to keep this going. It was a great space. It was a good community. I didn't want, I didn't want to lose that. And I didn't want people to lose that because when somebody, when you create good community, you got to put the effort in to keep it going. People some, so easily walk away from things and it's hard to get, it's hard to get people to buy into something. So once they do, you got to keep putting, you got to keep feeding the fire. Otherwise right. I was, I was literally just going to say exactly that. Like even when the fire starts to dwindle, you need to pour some kerosene on it. And fam seems, sounds like it does that. And that's what it is. And so like the reason I did it is I wanted to really create environments for people where 
I don't care if you're eight, 80, whatever it happens to be, I want you to come in, whether it's at that gym or your gym or whatever it is, I want you to feel welcome and have the most inclusive, exclusive experience where anybody should feel welcome. But when you're there, you have an exclusive experience, whether it's the brands I partner with and the products we're able to provide, or, you know, like I've partnered with a group called one in one now in more life. And we do our summer club workouts and the yep. Queens and like, they're, they're, we're similarly aligned in our goals and making a difference in those types of You do one-on-one -on -one classes also at your gym? Sometimes. Um, I think when it comes to one-on-ones, it's a little bit more of a challenge for me because I can do it, but you're also gonna have to focus on that individual. I don't know how to give 60%. So if I'm gonna train somebody one-on-one, -on -one, I'm gonna give you, right. and, and frankly, I, you deserve a lot more attention than I'm able to probably give you. I'd rather do that three, four person small group thing. I'd rather do bigger classes and give make a bigger impact that way. I have a ton of people in my network who are much better than me. Like if, you're, if you want to. Well, those people might say the other way around. They might say that John McIntyre is much better than me. So the one thing I've always like, I've always said, and this is where it's kind of funny. Some people are, they shy away from it or they call it competition. <laughs> I looked at it like, like if I can make people happy, it should be, you're going to pay it forward. So if there's somebody who's a better, you know, can teach boxing better than I can, why would I not let like, I'm doing my client or I'm doing my friend or I'm doing this relationship disservice by saying, let me teach you, but this person can do it better. So like, why would I not want to do that? Because it's going to come full circle, right? You should want the, you know, should want people to benefit from the best. And I think when it comes to my career, when it comes to, you know, fitness, I think it's so many people get caught up and it has to be like one way, or you can't, you can't collaborate, you can't work together, or it's such a, you know, it's competition. It's like, at the end of the day, we're, there's enough food. We all can eat. Um, it might be a different table sometimes, but you know, there's enough food and whatever you have as leftovers, you should be, you know, pushing that out. Like you should be legitimately feeding as many people as you can because the more we all grow together, the better we are. And I think it allows you to be exposed to different types of people. You develop real relationships where people trust you. And like, frankly, like you're, you know, for me, trust is huge. Like I'm a man of my word. I think it's extremely important to, you know, if you say you're going to do something, do it. It goes back to showing up. You know, yep. and I think there's many mornings where, you know, I don't want to show up. I'm like, shoot, like I'd, I'd rather sleep in because I'm up at five o'clock and they love to. But if I don't show up to Corporate Wellness, for example, one day, then they look at me and they say, you know what? Like I'm replaceable. Everybody's replaceable. So if you, this well, not just that, because you're the guy. So for them, you're the guy. And if you're not perfect, they're these people. And it's not to say they're, that they're not perfect. They're perfect at certain things, but not at showing up for their health. So if the guy, the number one guy is not showing up, then it gives them the ability to say, all right, I can take a step back. For sure. And that's the last thing you want to do. No. And, and I think that's, what's most important too. Like when it comes to like some of the community things or the people you surround yourself with is does your community show up for you? Right. Do your, do your friends, do your, do certain people show up for you? And it doesn't have to be physically. I love this. It doesn't have to be financially. It sometimes can just be like, Different people can show up for you. It could in be a text ways. message. Hundred percent. And I think, you know, like it's funny where uh, I was, you know, like people are scared of being brutally honest nowadays. And I think, you know, it's funny. Uh, and like I, I posted something like a while back, and it was like, if you had to go back over the last year, and every time you said, "Hey, I'm sorry, I couldn't make it," and you had to instead say, "This is why I didn't come," would you have changed your decision? Because maybe. You know, you felt like, you know, there's an easy way out. You probably could have. You just chose to sit at home and watch a TV show, yep. which is perfectly fine. But people were, they shy. You and I wouldn't that. do that. Most people would, hey, I can't do it. They'd even make up a reason. And I look at that also as bad karma. It, like, I was raised that if you have a commitment, you go. You go. I don't care if it's pouring rain out and you have a soccer game and you don't, you're not feeling well. Your team, you committed to your team. You got to go play. Yep, and, and I think it's like I, like I play on a softball team right now. And X Men. There you go. <laughs> um, and there's some of my closest friends. And the name actually comes from we're all PwC alumni, or most of us were, right? So that's where the name originated from. Now it's a, a mix of everybody. But and these guys, like, and it's it's kind of funny. The bond we've formed. We played together now for 15 plus years. I actually played against this team in Tucson, Arizona. Um, and I used hey. to, and I used to talk trash and like, there's a guy on the team, my friend, Jeff, um, who became one of my good friends and he went to the manager of the X-Men. He's like, we should have Johnny Mac play with us. <laughs> and they're like, we, we can't stand that guy. Cause like I talk trash and I could, but, and we ended up becoming all friends and like I joined the team and 
it's funny. So this group of people, like we, you know, we play together every, you know, we have one day a week, we see each other and then we go away to like a national tournament every year. But it's a group of people who are all professionals. Like we're in similar industries. We know each other's families. We are family. Like they, everybody shows up for each other in so many different ways. You have a work question, somebody sends it out, like somebody responds. Like it's one of those things where we've created this and we have an alumni of our alumni team. So like the former CFO of the Yankees is a, or the amazing. CFO of the Yankees is an alumni of our team. Like people in crazy, like different Just the roles. power within the, is the email chain, WhatsApp. Yeah, email chain, text chat, we have everything. Um, and we have a, we had a, we're supposed to have a game uh, yesterday evening. We got rescheduled. And I'm sitting here in a, a walking boot on crutches or a good old scooter. And I was going to the game. I was going to sit in the stands. And I was going to drink a couple of beers. And I was going to go support. Not because like, I, I mean, I very easily could be like, hey guys, good luck. And what's the, uh, what's the energy? So you guys came in second in nationals last year, right? Uh, did we finish second? No, last year we didn't. Last year, uh, last year I went out with an injury again. And uh, if not, did, that's if not you didn't, you would have won. I mean, I don't like to tell the guys this, but I'm undefeated the last two years. <laughs> I went out with injuries both years. I didn't play <laughs> the four games we lost, just saying. But no, I mean, you know, we go down there and it's a fun thing. And so for us, like, you know, it's just a good way to, you know, people have families, but this is a commitment everybody makes. We show up one day a week and we sit there and we had a guy, you know, he passed away last year. You know, you talk about Central Park. He, he was our beer guy. Like he was a part of our team. His name was, we call him Panama. And he was a guy, he would show up to every one of our games. He would bring our beers and we would pay a good amount of money for these beers. And he does it for everybody, but he would do it especially for us. When we were playing, he would wear our hats. Like he was our guy and he would keep the park open for us. And so if this gets out, like, please don't get him in trouble. Unfortunately, he passed away, but like he would keep the gates open for us. He was good friends with the parks people. So we would sit in the stands and the backdrop would be the New York skyline. You know, we're on Columbus circle. Oh, like, I'm shutting like, my eyes. As and we're sitting this. there just drinking beers with friends. And it was that one night a week where you have those moments and you would talk about savoring the moment. It's euphoric. Like, and like, then he would lock it up as we all left. But like, you know, those were things and like, those are the types of things we hold on to. And creating those types of moments where people were giving people a reason, like, <clears throat> to just stop. Like, one of the stories I always talk about is my, uh, is take the local train. Like, we're always fast, right? And like, I, I missed a train coming back from Stanford one day going to the city. And I got stuck on the local train and like, the doors are going to, they're going to open every time you stop anyway. So you might as well look outside. And I actually had a seat on the local train too. Cause normally on the express, I was standing up in rush hour. I'm like terrible. And I'm like, I had to sit down. I'm like, this is nice. And you got to look out the window. So I'm like, sometimes just take the local train, which you, you look around sometimes and we just forget. I love that. So it's like, it's a, it's a, I try and make sure I live my own messages too, uh, which is sometimes hard. You have a lot of them. And, and it's, but I try and do it. And then, it's hard. You have any tattoos? I do. Are are they messages? One of them is a, a message, and it was for like one of my best friends that I lost, and it's you know blood's thicker than water, and it's always in my heart, and you know like lost at a pretty young age, and you know I've had that since I was thirteen year thirteen or fourteen years old, um, and then I have another one over here just in case I forget my name. Um, it's like one of those like might as well bring me home if you find me kind of things. Uh, um, not that I regret it, but it was like a fourteen year old mistake. <laughs> um, one of them, like this one, I obviously, it, it means a lot to me and it's something that I've always kind of held on to. And, you know, when you think back of, you know, people are, you know, lives are lost at young ages and they didn't have the opportunity that we have, um, of today or tomorrow. So making sure that I legitimately focus on savoring the moment is a friendly reminder. I was literally just going to say, it's a daily reminder of saving the moment. It's, it's a little faded now, but it's still, uh, it still gets through. <laughs> what do, uh, what does the next six months look like for John McIntyre? Honestly, it's a, uh, I want to get healthy again. Um, hope we were up and running, uh, pun intended in the next month or so, maybe, maybe two. Um, but it's really focused on just kind of resetting a little bit, you know, the physical injury and kind of the career kind of, uh, reset has really helped me figure out what I want to do. And it's like, I really just want to, like, I got to focus on the next 10 years, but I want to be living in the moment as well. I don't want to be planning ahead a lot of my life. Cause I come from a you know, humble upbringings. I've been worried about like saving money instead of living. And so a lot of what I'm focused now is really finding that opportunity to live, go see the people I haven't seen, take the trips I haven't, take care of myself, you know, give myself a break sometimes and say, you know what, live in the moment, like, and have a good time. And it's okay if you don't make it to the gym one day, because you know what, you, you deserve it. Like, it's okay. And you know, like six pack abs can only go so far. Like it's yep. okay to eat a cheeseburger and enjoy a nice <laughs> meal. Like, like I'm a guy, I could just, I'm working on kind of potential interest into a beer brewery company. And I'm like, you know what? It means I'm going to drink some more beers. And you know what? I love what they're doing for community. I'm all for it. So 
you know, it's a lot of it's like I'm looking at certain investments, you know, what I want to do in that regard. Career-wise, I'm pretty much, I'm close to knowing kind of the avenue I want to go down and kind of who I want to work with. Which is a multifaceted avenue. For sure. And it's, it's, it's working with people who can then help you do that, right? And facilitate, like I look at a job and a career as what funds my ability to do everything else. And if I'm doing what I love or I'm doing something I'm passionate about at the same time, then that's amazing. And that's what I'm focused on now is like, I don't want to sit there in a corner and just, you know, keep score. Like I want to actually be strategic. I want to be thoughtful. I want to add value and I want people who appreciate that. And then whatever else we can do, we're going to do it from a nonprofit standpoint, from a physical standpoint, we're going to touch as many lives as we can. It's fucking special. Proud. <laughs> yeah. um, so what are you reading right now? Or what are you reading? And give me one, the, your Bible. What, what are you reading and what is one book recommendation that everybody should read? I mean, it's kind of funny. And it's like a lot of people will read like David Goggins, for example, and they read Can't Hurt Me, right? The first book. And did you read it or you listen I, to no, it? I read, I read. I'm, a, I'm a reader. I'm a, uh, I don't know if you've seen my posts on Instagram. I actually read the Wall Street Journal in physical form oh. every day too. So Can't Hurt Me, I did the Audible. And the way the Audible is done, he, the guy who uh, wrote it with him, reads it and then in between chapters they have an interview like this about the chapter and i went through it it took me like a a, a less than a week i listened to it at the gym so like i listened to it while i'm working out and it is fucking powerful yeah real powerful and and those are the types of so i read a lot of like self-help books and there's another book called unfuck yourself it's not written that way but that's what it's intended to mean yeah and it's like one of those things of like get out of your own way and it's like it's really starting to teach yourself that of give yourself give yourself the leeway you need in order for yourself to move forward sometimes because don't be so hard on yourself like you can be the most limiting thing in your success if you let that happen and i've been so guilty of that and like i haven't really i haven't even tapped what i think is my ultimate potential because i've limited myself and i've always been you know out there really mission driven and supporting companies and supporting you know doing my job and i've always been a good um good soldier per se um, and now I'm really focused on like, like I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do something on my own, um, not on my own, but with the right people. And we're going to do some fun things and we're going to hopefully make money that allows us to do more good things for our communities. But, you know, we're going to do some things where it's like, I'm going to put all of, all of myself into it and trust myself to once. Do you and the money will follow. hundred percent. My, my expression, which, which I live by is do you be dope. And what that means is, you know, do you and whatever your 100% is, stay true to it and the money will follow. 100%. And I think that's where, you know, I think social media is a great tool. And if it's used the right way, um, then great. But I think a lot of people like make sure you're looking at social media for what it is and understand who you're following, why you're following them. You know, do you really believe in the message that they're delivering to you or are you getting informed or getting something the nail out of it? on the head right there? And I think it's, there's a lot out there, right? And I think in the physical fitness world, it's kind of funny. Like every exercise that's been demonstrated has been done by somebody else. Like yeah. It's not rocket science. It's science, but yeah. it's not rocket I'm science. I'm like doing an Arnold Press at the gym the other day. And some guy's like, no, you're not supposed to do it like that. That was like back in the day. And like Arnold did it. So people, I'm like, pretty sure it's a good workout. And if you want to do a, a shoulder press another way, but I appreciate your advice everything can be transformative in some ways. And I think that's where, you know, that things come and go. Um, but I think who you are can be something that stays forever. If you live a life really, you know, driven by moving with purpose, which is really kind of how I've focused on every aspect of my life, whether it's, you know, at work, it's pretty straightforward, move with purpose, like actually accomplish things. Great. At the gym, it's like, what am I going doing today? That's going to move me forward in life though. It's like, what's driving your purpose. You wake up and like, what's the first thing you think about? And are you going to execute on it? Or is it something that is going to deter you from your long-term goals? And like, that's your first, you know, the first question you got to answer when you wake up is like, how am I going to attack this day? And it's why I work out in the morning too, because the only thing I can control is how I start. Yep. Whenever I'm finished and it's already pre 8 a.m. and I'm done, it's like, fuck, I already won today. I already won. I already got like a dope workout in and it's 8 a.m. Yeah, people will see sometimes like my posts are like 5 36 37 and i'm like i'm like i've already like taken a, if i have a friends on the west coast i've had a bunch of calls this week on the <laughs> west coast people and they're like so how's your day i'm like well i've been up since five yeah so i've had eight hours of work or like i'm already eight hours into my day and it's like like noon time for that. it also like fuels the rest of your day because just like you you just want to like 
talk to more people. You want to like spread that energy. And that's the most important thing is like, and like I always do this sometimes and like you probably see me do this. I do like a challenge all the time of like walk down the street yep. and just say hello to somebody, say good morning. And like, it's funny because like you'll see, like you'll probably say a hundred good mornings and honestly, you'll probably get five to 10 back. I think you just said you just did something similar, but you know, I'll do that. And like my last speech and my last savor of the moment event, I was focused on the five senses. It's like, we're missing out so much because people have their headphones in. So you're not hearing the noises around you, whether it's nature, whatever it is. You're not hearing somebody say good morning, which could change your day. You're hearing whatever you're hearing, which is fine. Yep. But you're also focused on straight ahead. Like you're not looking around because people don't want to make eye contact because that's scary. And also the like, eye contact, <laughs> usually their headphones in and down at the phone, even Honey. though they're walking, they're down at the phone. Right. So I think that's where it's like, you know, like I, like my doormen are the funniest people, like, or my concierge, like I walk down, if I don't, if they don't, they'll say good morning. And like immediately I'm like, my bad, like, good morning. But that's accountability too. And you need like those little subtle things. Like I'll walk by my car guy right outside. And if I didn't, I don't order from him every day and, but he'll still say good morning. And I'll make sure I say it when he's sitting there cooking and like, I'll, I'll surprise him. Like, hey, good morning. Yeah, like, and seeing you like, also makes him smile. And, and like we do, like we do a similar, like I use the $2 bills. Like I tip like, my, my garage guys every morning. And I do take my car to the gym, which is like 10 blocks down the road. It's easier. Yeah. Um, but I, I sit there and I tip too, so I don't forget you. You know, and it's like one of those things, they remember the little things. And I think little things make big differences. Little things make big differences and yeah. always smile. Try to. John McIntyre, give me one word of advice on how to make it in New York. Ask for help. And I think that's the, you can be the hardest worker in the room, but at the end of the day, like there's somebody who either, he has done it before you. There's somebody who might've done it better. There's someone you're going to need in order for you to do or reach your, your best or highest capabilities. You might be able to be a, you know, you might be the best performer ever, but if there's somebody who can help you in some sort of way, like Tiger Woods has a swing coach, craziest, funniest comment in the world, right? Tiger Woods has a swing coach. Somebody's telling him how to swing. Crazy. I've used that exact example when talking about exactly what you just said about, cause I, anybody who I'm coaching or training, I always say, if you don't know the answer to something, ask me, yep. ask for help. And I always say, Tiger Woods has a swing coach. That's fine. That was, this wasn't planned. Like that's, I love it's that. the funniest thing. It's like, it's so true. Like, the greatest people out there haven't done it. That's whether actually it was, pretty crazy. Whether it was I, their parents or that. like somebody's always had, somebody's going to need to help you at some point in your life. Don't shy away from asking for it, but at the same time, pay it forward, help other people. And you'll, you'll be so rewarded by that. The energy you get from helping other people. You know, I think that's where like somebody helped me. So I'm very conscious of speaking at school and being like, don't make dumb mistakes. And they're like, who are you to tell me? I'm like, well, let me tell you my story. And it's like, then they be, you become relatable. So like go back and like make a difference in somebody's life, the way somebody's impacted you, whether it's your family, whether it's friends, whether it's mentors, whether it's experience, like, like, you know, ask for help and be of help. John McIntyre, thank you for coming. No, I appreciate you having me. And on the theme of asking for help, I actually had asked John for help on where do I find the best button downs? Because <laughs> I started lifting a little heavier in the gym and my button downs, they didn't, they were kind of like not, they were pulling and John suggested. Good old Roan. Good old uh, Roan. And I walked in here today on set and. We're wearing the same shirt. We are wearing the same <laughs> Roan shirt. Yeah. And it's like, it's one of those, it's a brand that I'm you know very much connected with. And similarly, like I believe in what they're doing. Um, I wear their clothes, so I'm happy to support the way they're doing. So. And I went and tried it on and I was happy with the fit. And then I had to get the double thumbs up from my wife and she was like, <laughs> I like it. It's uh, similar to, uh, it's like, and I was telling John, it's like an Italian cotton mixed with uh, kind of like, like that Lulu vibe, but better. There you go. John. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for coming. Thank you. We out. That was good. Is that fire on? <laughs> was that like uh, That was boring minutes? for you? No, no. That was, I wasn't stretching <laughs> out, man.